prayer clearly identifies you as the father of all. Thank you for the wonderful parent you are. Your thoughts of me are as many as the sands of the deserts combined. Yet in your hand, I am indistinguishable on the grain called the earth. It's beautiful. A psalm of commitment. I don't see this fellow. He's probably second service by Mark. He says, I will ponder the Lord all my days, not little thoughts, but deep ponderings of the heart. You awake me in the night, watches. I will not ignore your call, but I will feast my soul on your goodness. Oh, there he is, Mark. Yes, there's lots more to come. This one is written by an 18-year-old in our church. It's called, I Hate. I let out my anger and my frustration as I start to yell at God, my Savior, Jesus Christ. I begin by asking him why I am the way I am. I ask him, where is he when I feel this pain? I ask, what is he doing with my life? I ask, where is he taking me? It's all in poetic stanzas here. But I continue to wait for his answer. I wait, I wait, I wait for an answer that has been given more than once, but still I wait, and it goes on. God bless him. Anyway, again, I want to encourage you, write your psalms of your journey with the Lord uh, and your time with God, whether it's a lament or a thanksgiving or an adoration, whatever it might be, that you too have something from God to write back to him, and maybe you can try singing it. Again, just not here. But we'd love to see you sing it. All right. Amen. We're going to do Psalm 23, which is just in one week. And uh, it's an amazing psalm. Why don't we read it together? It's so beautiful. It is a green pasture. You know, the Lord leads us to green pastures. It is in and of itself a green pasture. That's why people love reading it, whether it's at a funeral or a... Um, any kind of tough trial through life. It is just so rich. It is so wealthy. And uh, this is David's authentic experience. This is personal experience. This is testimony. And, you know, if you read people like, I like Johnny Erickson Tata. You know, she writes a lot of books and she's paralyzed from the neck down, has been for many, many years. And people like David or this guy Jerry Sitzer, I've quoted once or twice. Well, people have suffered a lot. When they speak, it carries a bit of weight. You know, it has some depth to it. And David is a person who has lamented a lot and suffered a great deal. And so when he writes something like a Psalm 23, it's worth listening to. It's got some weight to it. It's got some, it's not just an inch deep, but it, it's powerful. That's why this poem has gone through the centuries. It's a prayer, it's a poem, it's a song. It's all wrapped up in one. And, uh, but this is a fellow who's walked through, remember that stages of orientation? I know what's going on in my life, and God brings me to confusion, disorientation. And out of that disorientation, God eventually brings me to reorientation, a new place, a new way of looking at things. This psalm is written in a reorientation. This is a fellow who's gone through a lot of lamenting and has come through to a place of looking at life and God very differently. He's reoriented his whole perspective. And um, so let's read and let it soak into us together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and hesed or love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You know, David, uh, Paul writes about, may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened, opened, and uh, so we have physical sight. And this psalm is so, so much here. And let's just pray for a minute that the eyes of our heart, our spiritual eyes will be open, and you would see things in this psalm and, that you've never seen before. And it would take you a bit into a place with God that you've not been before. All right, so let's pray. Lord, we agree with Paul in Ephesians 1 and ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that they might be enlightened. You might give us, Lord, new glasses to see things in a scripture we've read, some of us, thousands of times, and that we might see you and meet you as our shepherd, my shepherd, and you might change us. So open up our eyes and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now, do you know that, uh, I want to see if you can guess what this is, all right? 70 million Americans suffer from this. It costs the United States $70 billion a year. Teenagers suffer from it. In fact, 64% of teenagers say this is the reason that they do so poorly in school. People between the ages of 30 and 40 suffer from it most severely. Senior citizens, half of the people over 65 suffer from it. What do you think it is? That's it, insomnia. And, uh, you know, they say, we used to sleep nine hours a day, a night. We're down to seven. So I don't know about you. I'm tired just thinking about it. And according to a Gallup poll, only 53% of Americans took vacation last year. Do you believe it? Vacation deficit disorder. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Now, there's a lot of ways to approach the psalm. And what I'm going to approach it this morning is, this is David's personal testimony. It's his authentic personal experience. That's why it grips us. It's like hearing a testimony. And so I'd approach it this morning just simply on what I have learned from the psalm and where my journey, where I am right now. So I'm going to approach it in a personal way as well. There's so much in here that, you know, I, I could easily spend, you know, the whole message on just verse one. So uh, I'd like to just, let's go to the point up, Drew. And I'm gonna, I really three, I didn't mean it to be a three-point message, but it's really three points. And as I meditate and reflect on this psalm, um, the, the first is, I, hi, Drew, okay, is to remember that the will of God is more concerned with the present than the future. I think it's a great theme here, which hits me hard, and I trust will hit you too. Um, he's very much concerned with the present. Now, to understand this psalm, you have to appreciate geography. You have to understand what Israel like, is like as a land. And some of you have been to Israel, others have not. You've seen pictures. But David was a shepherd, remember? So he understood what shepherding was about. And Israel is 75% desert. Wilderness, it's called in the Bible. 75%. And so if you look at them uh, shepherding sheep, it doesn't look like we think it is. When we think, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We think of a field like in Kansas or the Midwest or, why don't you put it up, a lush field that looks like this. Well, the Lord is my shepherd, right? When you say that, he makes me lie down in green pastures, you say, yes, this is where he's taking me. And that's immediately in all of our minds. But that's not what this psalm is saying at all. And if, you, if you've got that picture in your mind, you're going to miss what David is saying here. All right? Because it really, it looks like this. That's, that's, where they sh that's shepherding in Israel, okay? That's present day. That's the, 
that's the desert. And you'll notice that uh, there's not a lot of beautiful trees around, but you'll notice little, little things of grass. You see that around there? Okay, so there's a little bit of grass around, but there's not a lot. I'm going to go to the next one, Drew. And uh, you know, it looks like this. And is that the next one? Yes, okay. But again, you know, the, and, that's, and then the next one? Okay, but you get a feel as you look at these that this is, this is, this is shepherding in Israel at that time. So when David is reflecting, writing the psalm, this is what he sees. He does not see that first picture that you see, because we live in America. And so when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not lack anything. And he, again, remember I talked about the, the water and the wilderness, remember? That Israel understood that the desert was kind of a metaphor for life, that life is hard, life is difficult, life is painful. And if you remember the curse of Genesis 3, 16, after uh, sin entered the human race, God released a curse and said, from now on, life will be hard. And God said, I'm going to make life difficult in two areas. And the reason I'm going to make life difficult is to break you, humble you, so you'll embrace your need for a Savior. But God said relationships, will, Genesis 3, will forever be hard on the earth, whether it's in the workplace, marriage, raising children, parents, friendships, all relationships will be marked by pain. A sense of loneliness will forever be in the human race. No matter how close you may be to another human being, you'll always have this sense of a little bit of loneliness, annoying on the inside. And then he said, all of work will be cursed. Thorns and thistles, he's cursed as the ground. And from now on, work also will be difficult. Work, work no matter how many goals you accomplish, will never be fully satisfying. No matter what great things you do on earth, there will never be a sense where it is enough. And so God built into the fabric of living on the earth. It's like living in a desert. It's hard. Now, can I hear an amen to that? That's the Bible's view of life. It is not easy. And so um, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The green pastures are the little patches of grass. And... The sheep get a mouthful for the morning. And that's it. So here we go. Here's a little patch, I think, over here. Okay. You see it? And uh, so it's a little patch. A little, and then that, they move on. And the, she the sheep trust that the shepherd's got another patch of grass for them for the afternoon. Another mouthful of grass. But well, yeah, go ahead, George. Go to the next one. And you see, you see the contrast. It is not the picture on the left. And, um, but he gives the sheep enough grass for the morning. And then he gives them enough grass for the afternoon. Now, you need to let these two pictures sink into you to get this psalm. Because you get tomorrow's green pastures tomorrow. You don't get tomorrow's green pastures today. Like, I, I, I really, I, I told God, I want to be over on the left. Because then I got enough to eat until my IRA kicks in. I'm set. I don't have to worry about a thing. God says, not the way it works. I will lead you to small patches of grass one day at a time. And you can say, and you will lack nothing. A word, I shall not be in want, or I shall not lack. God says, you will never, ever lack anything you need. But I will give you manna just enough one day at a time. Now, and you'll notice he's like, I, a verse, I lead you in paths. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And you'll notice the paths, and you can't really see that clearly, but, uh, oh, there's my finger. Good. There we go. See that? There's a, see those paths going up? 
Okay, you see the paths? That's the path. These are not fun, super highways, okay? But he's going to guide you in, this, in these paths of righteousness. He's going to take you through some valleys. But he's going to get you to the grass you need for today. And that's it. But he will continue leading you through these. These paths are not simple paths. Now, again, he's got, if he takes you through a valley, he's got something else better for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I worry about tomorrow. I worry a lot about tomorrow. I, I think about it. In fact, I'm worried about lunchtime. You know, I'm, worried, I'm hoping the coffee's hot downstairs. And, uh, you know, I like you. I tend to get irritable and bothered, annoyed pretty easily. <clears throat> and, uh, but the thing is, sheep aren't anxious because they have a shepherd. And sheep are, are just are with the shepherd, and they're just, okay, I'm fine. I'm, I'll get my grass I need for tomorrow tomorrow. But today I've got this, and that, that's fine. So what does the future hold for us? What does the future hold for any of us, really? And we don't know. We do not know what the future holds. We cannot know. In fact, God says we should not know. And we're worried about our money situation. We're worried about our health. We're worried about our children. If we have children, we're worried about our parents. We're worried about our, our friends. We're worried, will I succeed? We're worried, will I lose my job? We're worried, will I get the right job? Will I get a job? We're worried, what's going to happen next year? We're worried, will I, what will my friends think? If I do this, or what will my parents think? We're worried about that. What others are going to think of us? We're worried about a promotion. Should I get one? I should get one. I hope I do. I'm worried if I pass my exams. I'm a student. I'm worried, will I get healed? I'm worried, will I get sick? I'm worried, will I live to 80? I'm worried, will I marry? I'm worried, how will it turn out in this marriage? I'm worried, how's the stock market going to go next month? You know, I'm worried, how will I handle trials? I mean, I see this person going through trials. I wonder, how will I get? I'm worried if, if I get a difficult trial, I don't think I'll make it. I'm worried that I'll, I'll crumble. It'll be a disaster for me if I get anything half of what that person got over there, and they're surviving. And so we worry about that as we look around us. And, and, uh, and many of us live in the future all the time. We're always in planning mode. Now, it's, a bit, it's biblical to plan. You know, the Bible speaks about planning and Proverbs, a healthy thing. But many of us plan out of worry. And we live our whole lives for the future. We live in Friday. Friday, my day off. Uh, the weekend, it's coming. And I'm looking. You know, or my vacation. You know, I got another, another, another vacation day. I'm going to cash in, you know, during Easter or, or the holidays. And, um, but we're not, we don't think of today. We don't think very often about today. Because we're always saying, let me get through today so I can get to tomorrow. And we're thinking about that. And so, you know, the human race, I mean, if you look at history, we, human race has all cultures, all religions, all histories. People are obsessed about the future. That's why palm readers and gypsies, make, they do well. Do you ever wonder in, the, in these in, in, in neighborhoods surrounded by PhDs, palm, write, palm readers have a thriving business because everybody wants to know the future and, and they're worried. And, and uh, people consult soothsayers and shamans and witches and priests and prophets. People read the intestines of slain animals. People read the cracks and shells. They follow the flight paths of eagles to figure out the future. They place the stars to figure out where the gods are up to. The Mesopotamians invited to the astrology, you know, and the zodiac and all that. Nostradamus, you know, folks are still reading him from the Middle Ages and his predictions. Jean Nixon, she's dead. She's still popular. The National Enquirer continues to do a thriving business, you know. But we're preoccupied with what lies ahead, what's going to happen, and, and we want to control the future. And it can't be controlled. That's the great problem. And we want, we want light. I want, I, I want to know. I want, okay, I'm following you, Shepherd God. I just want to know, where are we going? I want light. I want, I want to know. And God says, no. 
It's like, you know, it's like God's got the plane tickets to get on the plane. And he says, I'll give you the tickets when we're boarding. And it's like, no, I want the tickets now. And I want to hold on to them in case you lose them. <laughs> now, here's the point. Um, point one, if we can go back to that, sure, it would have been good to maybe write that up there. But, um, yeah, the will of God is more concerned with the present. It's not that it's not concerned with the future. But most of us are, what should I do in the future? What job should I take? Where should I go? And, and we're, we're so obsessed with the future, we're not in the present. This psalm is very much in the present. Understand the shepherd-sheep relationship. That, we, that we're to focus on the little decisions that we make every day. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? He said, don't be like the pagans, wondering what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink and worrying about the future, but you live in the present. You seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Today's enough trouble of itself. It's just live for today, said Jesus. And uh, the only time we have to know God's will and to do it is today. The only time that we really have to know and do God's will is the present moment. The question is, am I doing God's will right now? Am I doing God's will for my life today, Sunday, February 10th? Yeah, but tomorrow I got, I know. God says, I, listen to me, you know what? God says, sheep, you know, callate, you know, stop this eating. Italian, callate in Spanish, shut up in English. Today, just today do my will. I'll give you the grass you need for today to follow me. That's all I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you what you need to follow me today, to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But I am not going to give you what you need to follow me next week. I will give you next Thursday what you need to follow me next Thursday. But today, I'm going to give you what you need today. It's very much a present thing. The weightiest choice that you make is not, do I move to California or do I move to Pennsylvania? That's not the big choice you're making in your life. Do I marry Joe? Do I marry Harry? Those are not the biggest choices. The biggest choices is today, am I going to, there's only two ways to live life. Am I going to live for God or not? That's the big choice that you have to make every day. Today, am I going to live for God? Or am I not going to live for God? And so here's the, so I prefer, I, I'll be honest, I do prefer the Iowa field. I told the guy, I, I want it. And, uh, but here's the challenge. I'm going to give you, remember I said if you don't do something with a message, like within 48 hours, you're going to forget it? So here's, some, here's what I want to invite you to do tomorrow. When you wake up tomorrow, on Monday, I want you to ask, what's the will of God for me today? I want you to ask the question, what is God's will for me today? Now, you, most of you will be going to work. You'll be engaged with lots of people. You have a lot to do tomorrow. But in every time you're with someone, you say, now, remember, you're going to want to say, God, how can I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength today and love my neighbor as myself? Now, God, what is your will for my life today? Because I choose it. And that's how you want to live tomorrow. Just try it for Monday. All right? Wake up. Because God's concern is much more with the present, biblically, than it is with the future. And I'll tell you, it'll relieve a lot of stress in your life. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack, literally in Hebrew, I lack nothing that I need. He makes me lie down in green, he makes me lie down in green pastures, those little tufts of grass. He, he leads me besides quiet waters when I need it, and he restores my soul. All right. It's very difficult to do this, isn't it? Just live for today in the present moment. It's very un-American.
All right, let's go to number two. This one comes out of my journal. I, I did something a week ago uh, that shook me up. I spent six hours and I read through my journals. I journal a couple times a week, not every day, but generally my walk with God, I've been journaling since 1981. And I pulled out my journal since 1981. And I traced my walk with God. I became a Christian in 1976. So I traced my walk with God on my journey from pre-New Life to the you know, planning of New Life up to almost today. I didn't quite get to today, but through a lot of heavy things. It was really heavy. It was scary. And I'll explain why in just a few minutes. But, it, you know, sheep... You know, Remember, this is, why, this is my second point as I reflect on Psalm 23, is remember that the fiercely independent, stubborn, I had to include thick-headed, I like that word, thick-headed nature of sheep is in us more deeply than we realize. I don't think I realized the depth of my independence, my thick-headedness, and my stubbornness until I read my prayers and my dialoguing with God even after I became a Christian. I thought most of it had been dealt with once I became a Christian. I was sadly mistaken. Now, you know about sheep, right? I mean, we read about sheep, and you probably heard stories about sheep. Now, of all God's animals on earth, they are said to be among the least able to take care of themselves. And sheep are considered very dumb. There are no... Thank you. There are no sheep trainers in the circus. They have not made it to the circus yet. They have not learned to roll over or stand on two legs. Uh, they are unable to find safe pastures or good pastures. They can't find it on their own. They cannot find good water on their own. and it, They can't. They're unable to see that clearly. They can't rest without guidance. Unless someone leads them to rest, they don't rest. They are defenseless against their enemies. They don't have claws. They, you ever watch a sheep run? Forget about it. They don't run very fast. And uh, so they, don't, they can't survive in the wilderness. And they're easily frightened by rabbits, by insects. And I was reading all these stories about, you know, these certain flies get in their nose and they stop eating and mating and they forget. They, they, just, they get so bent out of shape by the littlest things, just throw them for a loop. But in summary, you know, sheep, they, they wander. They're, they're, they just wander. They just, they just, without guidance, they're out there. And they're very, very stubborn and thick-headed and fiercely independent. Now, I don't know about you. I, I didn't really relate to it. <laughs> because this psalm is about the shepherd. This psalm exalts the good shepherd. And this psalm is all about, you'll notice he, in the first three verses, he says, he, 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 he. And then it gets, once it gets to the valley, it's you. He changes from he to you. It's very interesting. But to just take a minute, you know, the great news, here's the great news. This is true about us. And we are compared to sheep all through scripture. And it's an interesting image. I mean, maybe a tiger or a lion would have been a little more interesting. God chose sheep, and I understand why. But the great news is that we have a great shepherd. I mean, a really good shepherd. And just take a minute. Just go with me. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, I'm, I'm your shepherd. You're not going to lack anything. I make you, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring you to the patches of grass one day at a time for the rest of your life. I will always give you what you need every day. I promise you'll never lack a thing. 
He makes me, he'll, he'll force you. Get your face down and eat the grass. He makes me lie down. Number three, he leads me besides quiet waters. There's a lot of poisonous things to drink from out there. And a lot of dangerous waters out there. Go, I'm going to lead you, the Lord says, to quiet, safe, uh, thirst-satisfying waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. He's going to make your soul come alive. Revive it, refresh it, water it. Verse 3, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name. Like God's, I'm gonna go. God says, for my name's sake, because you're my treasure, just like a shepherd's sheep are his treasure, I'm going to guide you in the right paths for my name's sake, because my name is on you, and I'm going to guide you. I promise you that. Then he goes, even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of the... Uh, God says, I'm going to lead you through valleys. I'm going to lead I promise you to get you some better grass. I'm going to have to take you through some things. And the word there in Hebrew literally is the deepest, darkest valleys. But I have a rod and a staff, and I just happen to have a rod here. Oops. This is a rod, kind of. It's really a cane, but it works. About two foot long oak. A rod it had a metal tip on it. And a rod, the Lord says, I am, I'm armed for you. And when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I've got a rod. And when something comes to attack you or destroy you, I'm going to knock it down. That's a rod. So I'm fighting for you as you go through difficult times in life. And then I've got a staff, David, you, your, your rod and your staff. The staff is not quite as bigger than this, of course, but it's got the hook. And the staff is to pull you back as you keep wandering out. I've got a rod and I've got a staff. And I'm watching out for you. And the Lord says, I'm your good shepherd. You can trust that. My rod and staff, he says. They, David says, your rod and your staff. I love that. To thank God that you've got that, that comforts me, says David. I love that. You, again, he knows he's talking to God right now. He's singing, praying back to God. Lord, you prepare a table before me, verse 5, in the presence of my enemies. Yes, I, I'm surrounded by enemies, but Lord, you've got a banquet for me. There is a tremendous feast is what that word means. You anoint my head with oil. Oh, that's another tremendous text. You know, anoint my head because you bump your head. Sheep bump themselves against other sheep and against walls, and they get sick with insects. And oil does a lot of things from healing wounds and protection. And God, so you anoint me. You heal my wounds as I, as I get battered and beat up in life. Thank you, Lord. You anoint my head with oil to heal me and protect me from danger. And then my cup overflows. Again, it's not that God's saying, you know, picture a sheep, you know, coming to a trough to drink water. That trough is overflowing. It's like the cup is just overflowing. God's, David says, Lord, you give me a cup. It's overflowing with drink for me. You take care of me, Lord, on what I need. Then he goes, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll get to that. Now, th this, is, this, is, this is great news. I, I, I just, God's got a rod and a staff to guide, as he's guiding you, and uh, I trust you're encouraged by that. And that's the great news. God's a really good shepherd. But as I read my journals, I, I was a little shaken up. Now, some of you may know the author named Rachel Naomi Remen. She's a medical doctor. She works with, she writes books, and, and she works with people dying of cancer. And uh, here's what she writes in, as an introduction to her, her recent book. She goes, our culture values mastery, control, self-sufficiency, competence, and independence. And I said, that's exactly right. I like that. Mastery, control, self-sufficiency, competence, and independence. Because that's our culture. And she says, we have contempt for anything in others or ourselves that is needy. And, she's, and her point is that when people get cancer and they're dying, all of that goes out the window that they've held on to for dear life. They're now needy. So, yes, I, I became a Christian, but the truth was, underneath that I became a Christian, I was still and have been fiercely independent, stubborn, thick-headed. And I thought just the fact that I, I surrendered to Christ, that was a big, that was enough, you know? 
But here's a couple things. I, I had 10 lessons that I learned. I'm just going to give you like four, because that's all I can handle even sharing this morning. But when I became a Christian, I was still very stubborn. Of course, I thought God got a good deal. I didn't write that down on my journal. But I wasn't balanced in a lot of areas. I, I, I dropped a number of things when I became a Christian. Self-care, enjoying the breath of life. I spiritualized everything. And God tried to get through to me more than once. I just, I just wasn't interested in hearing it. It took a long time for that one to get through. I prayed in my journals for a lot of things that would make life easy and to accomplish my goals. And I kept praying for a lot of the wrong things. What's really scary is I got a lot of them. And when I got them, it was a disaster. I mean, I looked at my prayer journal and I said, oh my goodness, I'm praying for things. I'm on the wrong, I'm, I said, I'm not even on the right playing field. I'm praying for things. I'm interacting with God about things that he's not even interested in. And I get them and they make my life a mess. And what I thought was a blessing so often, I'm, I thank you, God, for this. And it was a, this is a curse. I felt like I was reading the Titanic. I said, oh my gosh, and I'm on it. It's me. And I thought about that. It was a time in 1992, we rapidly expanded New Life Fellowship, did a, did a huge internship, and uh, it was huge. And I was like, thank you, God, for this breakthrough and providing the money. It was a disaster. But I was just, I was thick-headed, and I was going forward. The door was open. I wasn't going to stop. Don't worry, God got a hold of me. You can trust me on that one. Another lesson I wrote down was I was listening to God on my own terms. I was really into hearing God. He just better speak the way I wanted him to speak. And uh, I did not want to listen to God through things like, you know, God puts things on your heart, passions on your heart. I wasn't listening very well to that. I did not want to listen to pain. I mean, I'd say, God, I'm depressed. Take it away quickly so I can move on. I wasn't open to God speaking through things like the gift of depression, not that God always speaks through depression, but in my case he was in a couple of instances, but I wasn't hearing it through a gift of an unhappy spouse. I wasn't hearing her either. And uh, actually life being out of control, I wasn't listening to that either. Uh, but um, I, I couldn't see God speaking through a lot of different ways, and I just wasn't listening. It was I was listening, but on my terms. Stubborn, thick-headed, um, I mean, it took me a while, it took, what, what, a, what a shock it was to realize, well, God doesn't just speak through, you know, Scripture, which, I mean, God does speak primarily through Scripture. He speaks through sermons, yes. He speaks through things like movies to me, and I, I recently read Joe DiMaggio's biography. Big Joe DiMaggio fan. God spoke to me through Joe DiMaggio, I mean, his biography, for me. He speaks through valleys. I mean, my old God didn't speak through valleys at all. In fact, that was satanic territory all the way. I mean, I, God spoke to me through fixing my house up. Because I used to do things superficially, and God said, this is how you've dealt with life, Pete. You've dealt with the super you paint the walls. You never deal with the wiring and the plumbing. And that's got to change. And I remember God starting to speak to me through all kinds of amazing ways, but it took a long time for my thick-headed skull to open myself up to God that way. And, uh, and lastly, it took, one of my reflections on my journal was, it took an enormous amount of labor, pains, and anguish to get me to change. I am highly resistant. I'd say, God, change me. When I said, God, change me, what I meant was, do it painlessly. When I said, yes, God, I want to be like Jesus, change me, I had a whole agenda of how that was going to look and through whom God was going to do it in a nice, neat way. And obviously, you know, God didn't do it that way. But um, 
God kept letting me go. I, I looked, I said, the patience of God. He'd let me wander. And, uh, you know, he'd have his staff, he'd have his rod, and uh, things could have been much worse. You know, when, when sheep wander, they end up being in very dangerous territory near cliffs. I mean, it's dangerous out there. And uh, I was definitely on more than one cliff out there, away from the shepherd and in dangerous territory. And God would rescue me. He'd be merciful to me. He'd reach out to me. I would wound myself. He'd put oil on it. I'd break a leg. He repaired it. Then finally, he broke a couple of legs to get my attention. And, uh, but he was going to make me lie down. And uh, God made me a sheep. I'm dependent. But the truth is, I like to act independent. I mean, you, I was made to be a sheep. You were made to be a sheep, dependent. God, inside of you is that vacuum that when you rest in him as your shepherd, you read this psalm, when you do it, it's like, yes! But the problem is, your nature is independence, like mine is. And God made you a sheep. You're very needy. Do you know what? You need God. Everybody needs God. But we act like we don't. We act, I'm self-sufficient. I got life in control until something will knock you down. Often old age will do that to some people. Some people. You know, God made us that we're not competent to live out life without God. But we actually fake it, and we live life as if we can master it. I got everything under control. I can do it. You know, what made David? David was a great warrior, a great leader, a great king. But what made him great was he was so sheepish. He was so dependent on God and absolutely needy in his life. And so point two is to remember, yeah, you know, th this is true about you. And if you don't know this about yourself, know it. It's true about me and about you. And it's the grace. This psalm is about the Lord is a great shepherd. But don't kid yourself about the nature of who you are and what it takes to lead you, the grace and mercy of God. All right, the last thing is this. Let me close with this. To remember that God is relentlessly pursuing you with his goodness and loyal love. He ends with this. And the psalm begins, verse 1, with the Lord, Yahweh, and it ends with Yahweh. He goes, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's an incredible verse. But surely goodness and love, that word love is for chesed, right? God's loyal love forever. But the word will follow, underline that word will follow. That word, every time it's used in the Old Testament, is used to persecute your enemies. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a victorious king chasing after his enemies to destroy them. That's the word David used here to follow. And so what the verse says here is, is surely, David says, goodness, the goodness of God, and the hesed, the loyal love of God, is going to chase after me intensely. It's going to prosecute me. It's going to come after me all the days of my life. No matter what's happening. And, he, you know, he's thinking, you, you know, the, 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 it's not surely God's love will follow me. No, it's, it's not maybe God's love will follow me or possibly the love of God will follow me or, you know, I got this hunch that the goodness and love of God will follow me. David says, no, no, surely the goodness and hesed of God will chase after me all the days of my life. There's great intensity there. And the shepherd, he says, is going to take great pains to bring me to the next place to eat. He's going to bring me through valleys and difficulties. Yes, it's a big thrust here. But the shepherd's going to lavish attention. He's going to watch over his sheep. He's going to know them by name. He's going to sleep with them at night because he knows his sheep are going to wander off. Psalm 139 last week. Oh, the thoughts of God. Remember the, 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 the sand of the seashore in the desert. And, and David says, 
I, I, I can't even number them, oh Lord. This is too much for me. This is, this is beyond knowledge for me. The fact that you think of me, that's David's picture here. And he says, basically, God is like a highway patrolman. Things are not as they appear. It looks like all this stuff's going bad in my life. And David was hated by mostly God's people. When the one's chasing him, making his life miserable. But uh, your car breaks down. You say, where's God's love? You know, another parking ticket, you know. And a person you hoped to uh, date says no to you. And all the things that go wrong in life, we've got a million of them. And David says, I want you to understand, surely God's love is chasing after me every day of my life. And he's got this tremendous sense of that. Now, let me just try to illustrate this and close with this little illustration. Maybe it'll help. This is verse 5, verse 6. Imagine you're driving down a highway. And you're in the rearview mirror, you realize that there's a cop behind you, and his red lights are flashing. And so you're like, this is ridiculous. And so you know you got a couple of parking tickets, so you put your foot on the gas, and then you go 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. And you try to outrun this cop car who's chasing after you. And uh, finally, the officer's car is too powerful. They've souped up the engine. And at 100 miles an hour, he overtakes you. You pull over, and you sit there waiting, feeling very guilty, all your sins, all your speeding tickets. Finally, the officer comes to the window and says to you, hey, guilty conscience, huh? You don't say anything. And so the officer pulls out a wallet and says, uh, hey, you know that Dunkin' Donuts on Broadway you were coming from? Uh, you dropped your wallet. I wanted to give it to you. So you blush get embarrassed. The officer says, oh yeah, by the way, the sweepstakes you entered in last, yesterday at Wallbaums, you won. You won a free trip for four to Hawaii for two weeks, all expenses paid. But you have to call tomorrow to get the prize. At this point, you're feeling pretty good. And so you, thanks officer, and so you get the car going, you're ready to leave, and the guy says, wait, wait, wait a minute. The officer says, hold on. I want you to get into my car now. And you think, oh, come on, I thought I was through with all this. And so you get in the car, leave your car there inside of the road, and you go out for a long drive out of the city, end up out in the Hamptons. Takes you to the most beautiful place on the Hamptons, on the beach. Seagal couldn't have bought it, all right? $20 million place. And you say, what are we doing here? He says, this is my place, says the officer. You're wondering, where does he get his money from? And so he shows you around this beautiful house, and, and he shows you this huge wing, fireplace in every room. And he says, the officer said, this is my place, because I want to invite you to live out with here with me forever. I want you to bring your family out here, too. I'm going to go get them also. And so at that point, David passes from verse 6 to verse A and B. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. God's on a highway patrolman chasing after you with his love and his goodness. But most importantly, he wants you to dwell in his house forever and ever. And David, more than he wanted a physical house, David wanted God. Remember Psalm 27, verse 4, this one thing I seek, that I may gaze at your beauty, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's what David wanted. He wanted verse 6. Now think of all you have in life. Think of everything you've got. What you have in God as a shepherd is greater and bigger than all of that. It's greater and better than all that you've got. And God wants you to lie down and rest. So I don't know. I want to invite the worship team forward, and I want to ask you a question. Where are you today as a sheep? 
um, I, as I was reflecting and praying and thinking about everybody in the room here, where are you as a sheep right now with God as a good shepherd? Maybe you're just simply like I did for the first 19 years of my life. I was just totally hiding. I never heard God speak. I didn't believe God spoke. I didn't know what it meant to have a personal relationship with God. Maybe you're there and you want to begin a relationship with God today. But maybe you're a sheep today and the good shepherd's right here with his rod and staff, but you know what? You're hiding back there near young Yao under the piano. Or maybe you're behind the door over there. Um, and, you know, shepherds used to throw rocks to get the sheep attention. Like David was a rock. That's why he threw, you know, threw a rock to kill Goliath, remember? He threw, they throw rocks to the sheep to get them to come over. Maybe, maybe God the shepherd's throwing rocks at you. And, you know, Peter Gluss, he just hit you on the head, you know? Peter, get over here. Or maybe, you know, he's got a staff. He's pulling you back over here. Or maybe you're so stubborn and thick-headed right now, he's going to take his rod they're supposed to use to protect you. He's going to bop you over the head one. But sometimes they do have to break a leg, I am told by shepherds, to bring the sheep back. And uh, we do know that uh, sometimes sheep, because their lives get so screwed up, they get cast. They end up upside down. You ever heard about that? They end up on their backs because they trip and fall. They're in places they shouldn't be, and they end up on their back, and they can't get right side up because their legs are very thin, and they got kind of big tummies. And so the shepherd's got to carry them back. And maybe you're here today and you're cast. You're upside down. You can't, your life is such, you're a believer, your life is such a mess, you can't even get up. You've been running and stubborn and thick-headed for so long that you just, you can't even get back to the shepherd right now. He says, I don't even know how to get back, Pete. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And... Respond. Now, Jesus says, I call my sheep by name and I lead them out. And I go on ahead of them. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I would like to invite you to repent this morning. I know I am. Just for not resting, for not living in the present, for not being content for running from the goodness of God, um, for being stubborn and thick-headed. I, I, just, I, I feel like we need to just start this morning by just responding to God for forgiveness, individually and corporately. Drew, can you put that, your Lord is my shepherd, do we have it? She says here, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, I want you to repeat this with me. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the verse. Now, each time we read it, we're going to focus on a word. I want you to meditate on it with me. Let it go into your soul. Okay, this is verse 1. The, I'm going to put an accent on the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, and then we'll do the Lord is my shepherd. And the Lord is my shepherd. Then the Lord is my shepherd shepherd. You with me? That's meditating on the word. Milking it a little bit. You ready? The Lord is my shepherd. Next one. The Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd. Next one. The Lord is my shepherd. And then finally, 
The Lord is my shepherd. Let's sing this together.